Hey everybody, welcome to Animates. I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to be discussing another excellent Renaissance uh, program, Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls was a show that ran on Disney, so we are veering away from Cartoon Network for a little bit. Cartoon Network is going to feature very prominently as we continue, but with Adventure Time down... Uh, really the only Cartoon Network show that we have to cover here in the near future would be Steven Universe. And Gravity Falls is a very nice deviation away from the Cartoon Network bubble. Yeah, um, even though Disney has pretty much owned the space on feature-length children's animation for the last 70 years... They're not particularly well-known, especially um, in the 21st century, for television animation uh, in terms of really good quality shows. They focused really heavily in the early days of the Disney Network on television adaptations of a lot of their movies. And while there were good shows, uh, they just weren't as known for really like high quality or iconic uh, animated television shows. I so feel, go ahead. I feel like their shows can definitely be seen as an extension of their branding strategy for essentially getting merchandise off the shelves. Like the Disney Channel existed specifically to provide another market for their specialty which was feature length films definitely um i will say that this did air on specifically disney xd because disney has a variety of of networks and xd i don't know a ton about it but i do my understanding and my impression is that it was a network primarily aimed at the middle school demographic um, seems to me to be a little bit more boy marketed and there's a lot more animation on XD than on your regular Disney network. So that might be, uh, why Gravity Falls was aired there. Uh, but I think it was a really good decision on their part to pick up the show because it's really excellent. Um, it was created by Alex Hirsch. So Alex Hirsch fits into this same sort of animation renaissance lineage he also went to cal arts uh he was there at the same time as pendleton ward and jg quintel he also worked on flapjack with them he was in fact apparently very closely partnered with pendleton ward uh in that role and interestingly he was sort of the one person from that group and that lineage who went on to work with Disney and not with Cartoon Network uh, pretty rapidly. He was also one of the creators of the Disney show Fish Hooks, which I know very little about. He actually, very early when he was still at CalArts, turned down an offer from Jeffrey Katzenberg at DreamWorks because he specifically wanted to work with Disney and has continued to work with Disney uh, since the end of Gravity Falls. That's interesting. I wonder what his motivations for that are. Maybe a little bit of a childhood dream situation? It seems like it to me, honestly. It's too bad we can't ask. 
Because we right. cannot talk to him. <laughs> Unfortunately. Who are, who, who are we? We are nobody. <laughs> no. I, I, I think that the fact that it ran on Disney eh, shows. And I don't mean that in a negative way in this case. What I mean to say is that having watched these shows back to back, I'm starting to notice consistent differences across the networks, specifically in this era. Cartoon Network, for example, Flapjack and Adventure Time and Steven Universe and stuff like The Amazing World of Gumball, they all feel like different paintings that would hang in the same show the same showing at like an art gallery whereas it is actually hard for me to imagine gravity falls having taken place on cartoon network and to some extent nickelodeon it it's hard for me to explain exactly why i think that is but I, some of it has to do with animation style. Some of it has to do with writing style. Some of it has to do with humor style. For example, Cartoon Network definitely applied a more, what I would lovingly call, lol random style humor or heavily absurdist style humor, whereas Gravity Falls is a very refined but traditional style of comedy. Yeah, I would say that a lot of it is that it's one of those, um, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it type things. There's a certain Disney polish to everything that Disney does that Gravity Falls definitely has. I would say that looking at Gravity Falls and what was done with that, I think that they definitely gave Hirsch and his team a lot of leeway that Disney wasn't as heavy handed as they're often known for being with things. But it definitely is. It has a certain polish to it. Um, It has a style of humor that isn't as, you know, for example, like, if my mom was watching an episode of Adventure Time with me, she'd be like, this show is weird you guys are weird, (laughs) you know, and she wouldn't have the same reaction to Gravity Falls. I I got that very same reaction from my dad when I was talking to my brother and I said that I like Adventure Time and he liked Adventure Time. I was like, you like this show? And it was sort of a surprise. But I think, I don't know if Gravity Falls would get quite the same treatment. So I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, like I earnestly told my mom the other day that she should check out Gravity Falls because it has strong Scooby-Doo vibes and she loves Scooby-Doo, you know? Yeah, that's definitely one of its biggest influences as a show, right? It is it is a monster of the week style mystery show with a over it, it is in this category, though, because there's overarching plot and character development and deft touches on social issues and and uh genuinely high stakes so it fits well in this particular season of our show because it has all those qualities but it still 
very much like a grown-up Scooby-Doo, which may be a little bit unfair because there's also a grown-up version of Scooby-Doo, which is Mystery Incorporated, which we will eventually get to, which is also a great show. But it 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 is... Without Scooby-Doo, I don't think this would exist. No, definitely not. Um, it's, you know, it's very much in that sort of vein of, like Chris said, Monster of the Week. Uh, there's, you know, each episode has a mystery, but there's also an overarching series-long mystery. It's got a good mix of sort of serialized and episodic to it, where there are a lot of episodes that you could watch in isolation and very much enjoy. But it very, very, it's interesting because we talked about this difference between watching shows as appointment viewing and watching shows in the modern way, which is streaming and binge watching. And this ran from 2012 to 2016. So it was pretty much wrapped up like just as that transition was happening in the way that people watch TV. But it very much rewards the dedicated, attentive viewer there are a lot of easter eggs in the show um so it's it will it while you can watch episodes in isolation there are some episodes that you would be very confused if you watch them in isolation and everything really rewards you if you watch it in order i recall somebody talking about mysteries in particular with this but somebody has said that it has become harder to write mysteries because of binge watching. And what they mean is that interweek lull that existed for typical broadcasting no longer exists. And because it doesn't, people's memories are effectively better because they just observed something. So I think it was, it might have been, George R.R. Martin made a similar comment about Game of Thrones, but his comment was in reference to the existence of the internet and the, uh, the weird computer that is a blog, like people just, a bunch of people getting together, inputting data and spitting out answers and mm -hmm. he's like, people guess it like pretty quickly. They don't know that they've got it, but it's very difficult to write twists because people have crowdsourced theory. And somebody made a similar effect to the idea of streaming platforms and writing mysteries. It's harder to keep people strung along for longer and still put clues in every episode. I will say... It's a very sophisticated mystery, given that the audience is children, because the first time I watched this through, I did it on streaming. I watched it in the course of a couple of weeks, and um, there will be spoilers in this episode, so big spoiler. The uh, result of Dan being a twin and his twin being missing for so many years, I did not see that coming, though now watching it again... There are clues from as early as the second episode. There are clues, but you have to look for them. They're in visuals and they're in offhanded remarks, you know? So it's, I think that it's very well done and very sophisticated, especially given that the audience is children. I do think that 
in in the way that we said that Adventure Time requests a more mature child or expects a lot from children in a in a weird way i think that gravity falls does that occasionally but in general while it is a sophisticated show i think more often it does not require an emotionally sophisticated child yeah i would say like gravity falls expects a lot from its viewership intellectually Whereas the emotional tenor of the storytelling is something that I would say is pretty much what you would expect maturity level for something aimed at 13 year olds. You know, a lot of that coming of age, growing up, uh, interpersonal kind of emotional stuff. And not to say that it isn't emotionally sophisticated in that way. It is. There's like good emotional storytelling that's borne out well and handled well. It's just that something like Adventure Time expects children to deal with ideas of like intense trauma, whereas Gravity Falls doesn't demand that of children, but it does demand a level of intellectual sophistication from children. I think that a good example of this is both Adventure Time and Gravity Falls have a teenage boy or a close to teenage boy mm-hmm. who is into an older person and i and i think about the experience of finn as over over the course of that show versus dipper and i think they do a good job of in gravity falls of doing that but i think it is more complicated and maybe a little bit more true to life and kind of like a little bit of gnashing of emotions and all the the mistakes and the growth that happen in Adventure Time are way more sophisticated. Yeah. And I also, like, I want to give Gravity Falls credit that the timeline of Gravity Falls is about 12 weeks maximum. It takes place over the course of a single summer when someone is, like, 12 about to turn 13. Whereas at the beginning of Adventure Time, Finn is 12 and by the end he's 17 years old. So it takes place over a much longer timeline. That Yeah, that that is definitely a, a big consideration. So I guess in that respect, we should expect to see that much growth over that many years. Mm-hmm. And Dipper and Wendy's thing happens pretty fast but I guess, like, considering they only knew each other for a summer, like, a lot happened. Like, they, they yeah. worked through a lot of stuff. Definitely. Um, do you want to take a little time to talk about uh, the cast and some stuff like that? Yeah. To avoid summarizing, I mean, one of the big mystery parts has already been spoiled. So just note that this is not the ideal way to be introduced to the show. But the... Cast is pretty consistent, though. I don't know, it kind of bleeds into an ensemble show eventually. The two main characters are Dipper and Mabel. They are fraternal twins who are very different in personality. Dipper is... Dipper's kind of like a less confident, more neurotic Fred from <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Like, they're very interested in the mystery and figuring things out and are adventurous 
in certain ways. While Mabel, who is voiced by Kristen Shaw, who's perfect for the role, she's in freaking everything now. But she's it's because she has um excited little girl energy in her voice. For that sure. Is, that that it's just like that's just her voice. Yeah. Um, it's worth noting. So, and um, Dipper is voiced by Jason Ritter, who is actually more commonly a live-action performer than a voice actor. Whereas Christian Shaw was almost exclusively voice acting. Um, but it's worth noting that Dipper is modeled on Hirsch himself, and Hirsch is actually a twin. He has a twin sister named Ariel, on whom Mabel is based. And so he says, you know. He really did that thing of carrying 16 disposable cameras somewhere. He was very neurotic as a kid, whereas his sister really did wear crazy sweaters and have a new crazy crush every week and desperately wanted a pet pig. So that's kind of why Mabel has waddles is because uh, Hirsch wanted to give his sister a pig. Their dynamic is a core facet of the show, and it's... It is a great something that doesn't happen with a lot of our other shows is they're all only children, right? So Steven Universe is an only child. Um, Finn is an only child. I'm trying to think of shows that we would eventually talk about, but it's a lot of only children. And I think that there's a good reason for that. Siblings are just harder to write. The, the dynamic needs to either be, it's usually one of two things. They're either like Dipper and Mabel and they have an excellent dynamic or they are like Stan and Stan, Stan and Ford. And they have like serious issues. So yeah, and I would say that the idea of sibling dynamics and the way that sibling dynamics can change as you grow up are a central part and even theme of the show it definitely would lose a lot of its heart if it did not have this meditation on siblinghood and they do they do emphasize both strengths but also issues inherent in over-reliance on the sibling dynamic there are naturally issues where siblings want to gain individual autonomy and the other doesn't do well with that and eventually they come back together to reconcile or fix whatever the issue was but i don't know i think by the end of the show they reach a nice equilibrium but i i still think like although they reaffirm that they will always be together like the reality of that situation is is that is not a settled conflict as much as they portray it being in the show, I really think that part of growing up as a sibling is accepting that you won't always be together. That's something that is specific to childhood. And I, and, and I also think it's something that's probably heightened in like a, a relationship of, of twins, you know? This idea that like, they're not just your sibling. They're like a part of you, you know, that you're not that you're in you're in some way like not actually two people. That's something that is genuinely felt by a lot of twins and also kind of enforced on twins. 
by society. Um, so I think that's also a big, um, a big part of it is this idea that like, you know, well, we're, we're twins, we're two halves of a whole and like, how can I even really be a whole person without you? Yeah, I that that line between like that that twin line of autonomy and codependence is something you see play out to varying degrees in many people. And to some extent, it makes sense why that is a conflict. If you were friend like friends who are very, 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 very close and raised together may often feel the same kind of closeness and issues with autonomy that that siblings would so it might just be a product of being raised together with somebody who is necessarily a huge part of your identity but twins got it the most i'll admit that definitely for sure um i also so um just to like move past a little bit and um mentioned some other members of the cast so the core concept of the the sort of setup for the show is that dipper and mabel are sent off from uh their home of piedmont california for the summer to gravity falls oregon to stay with their great uncle stan often referred to as grunkle stan um, who is voiced by Alex Hirsch, and he is sort of like a petty con man and grifter who operates a uh, tourist trap called the Mystery Shack um, that the twins also do uh, work in. And our other two main characters are other employees of the Mystery Shack. So we've got um, Seuss Ramirez. Um, took me forever to realize that, oh, his name's Seuss, as in. Hey, Zeus, as in Jesus. <laughs> um, I thought his name was Zeus, like the Greek god. <laughs> but no, it's Zeus, and uh, apparently he's supposed to be 22, uh, according to Wikipedia. And he's also voiced by Alex Hirsch, and he's sort of like um, the lovable, if a little dense, handyman of the of the Mystery Shack. And then there's also... Wendy Corduroy, who I always assumed she was about 16. According to Wikipedia, she's 15. And so she just is like kind of the shop girl. And she's voiced by Linda Cardellini, which um, hopefully everybody knows who Linda Cardellini is. But she's also um, she's in Freaks and Geeks. She was in the live action Scooby-Doo movie. She's been in nine million things. She's really great. I love her. I love Linda Cardellini. <laughs> Uh, Wendy sort of provides our teen angst in. So one of the big, like a big thesis of the show is growing up. And because Dipper and Mabel are 12 going on 13, that that growing up thing is is also incorporated into a, a teenage, like transition into teenagehood theme as well. And Wendy and her teenage friends provide that provide that soil to examine especially Dipper's desire to grow up and be a teenager so he can hang out and do what teenagers do and ultimately 
sometimes I'm left going, oh my fucking God, these goddamn teenagers. Oh, I hate them. They're like low-key delinquents. <laughs> but other, and like, there are some times where I'm like, God damn it, Wendy. But other times, I, I don't know. Like, it's so funny. There's an episode where Wendy, they're, they're about to, they think they're about to die and they're all telling like a truth. And Wendy's like, I'm really not as chilled as I seem. I'm really, really uptight. And I, when I heard that, I thought, yeah, okay. I totally understand you now. Mm-hmm. Like that, the person who tries so hard to be chill because inside they're a neurotic is, yeah, I understand that feel a lot. Especially yeah. when you're a teenager, man. Like it's, I think they, they do a great job of targeting emotional conflicts that teenagers experience for like that whole perception to try to be cool, but also recognizing you're an anxious person. That's super real. <laughs> like that, that is almost too real. The sort of biggest character from Wendy's group of friends is Robbie, um, who's voiced by TJ Miller that she dates for a little while. And he's sort of like a classic, like, emo kid you know like very emotional very much kind of like an asshole but he's probably an asshole because of his like internal pain or whatever you know um like doesn't treat wendy that great but then also is like all broken up when they break up and he and dipper have kind of like a feud going on for a while so he's also another example of a, a different flavor of teenage angst, right? Their group of friends has that one dude that everybody picks on. Yes, I was going to mention that, Thompson. <laughs> and it's like, I, I look at that and I, 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 all I can say is I felt it. I felt that. Yeah, for sure. But it's interesting because it's like at, at one point it's revealed that he has self-awareness about it. He's like... I allow this group of people to pick on me because I, I believe that it keeps the group like together that, that like, it's something that unites us. And I really like this group of people. So I'm happy to be the punching bag. And I was like, that's, that's fucked. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of, that happens. That's like a real thing. Oh, for sure. And, and I feel like sometimes the people who are making fun of someone, they're just not like, eventually it may become it may come to their awareness what they've done as they grow up but in the moment it just kind of feels like oh we're just ribbing them but you know teenagers are vicious little fucks yeah <laughs> like one of the greatest moments with relation to that character is his name's thompson you know and they're like dipper and mabel are hanging out with the teens in the graveyard and they hear this weird moaning coming from a grave and they're all like, you go look, no, you go look, no, you go look. And then Dipper goes, Thompson, go look. And one of the other teens is like, great use of Thompson. And they all chant gaze upon death as they make uh. him go look in the grave. Yeah, so it's like Dipper, like Dipper gets an end because it's like, even though Dipper's only 12 and like he's the youngest and newest member of the group, he like, he understands the dynamic enough and he gets praised for his ability to pick up on the dynamic. Yeah. Waddles is a pig. Love Waddles. Who eventually gets voiced by Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's such a good episode. <laughs> because he, his intelligence gets increased. So he's able to like 
do science. Uh, I, but that's not canon because that's from the uh, from the episode "Tales Designed to Sell My Merchandise." I know, but I it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> there, a lot of other characters show up with varying regularity. So, for example, Mabel makes two friends, uh, Candy and Brenda. Um, Brenda. <laughs> Brenda's fucking. No, not not Brenda. Grenda. Grenda. That's right. Okay, Grenda is great. Grenda is voiced by like a deep. Like a deep male voice. Yeah, I'm not sure who voices her, but it's great. And then Candy is, um, I can never remember her name. Nikki something. Nikki Yang. BMO. Nikki Yang. Yeah, BMO. Uh, I'm going to kill you. Her, her, <laughs> I, I, I fucking love her voice. Like her voice is great and everything she ever does so far. Oh my gosh. I just like. The, my favorite candy bit in the show is when the summer ween episode where they have to get a certain number of pieces of candy and Mabel's counting them out and she into a wheelbarrow and candy is dressed as a piece of candy and <laughs> Mabel's like 31 and then candy gets it and she's like 32 and then Mabel's just staring at her and candy's like you see and Mabel's like yeah uh-huh <laughs> Mabel's not having any of it <laughs> uh Grenda I, I really like Grenda because, like, she is a very stocky, like, very tough. Like, I think the best way to put it is she has what people would consider to be very masculine qualities. But it's never played for laughs. Well, okay, it is, but not... Played for laughs, but, like, not in a mean-spirited way. Not at her expense. Yeah, because way. she's, like... She's comfortable with it. She's extremely masculine and extremely aggressive, and she's, like, fine with it. She's like, this is who I am. Like, get over it, you know? And I don't think... Nobody ever really makes fun of her for those things. So that's... Well, I, I guess Pacifica Northwest. Pacifica does, yeah. <laughs> so there, there is a preppy... Her Okay, her name is Pacifica, Pacifica Northwest. Northwest. <laughs> which is just... So good. I mm -hmm. it gets me every fucking time. But mm -hmm. of course, Gravity Falls is a small town, but they have that one rich, wealthy, entrenched family that the legend goes they started the town, but they didn't. And the Northwests are actually a very interesting case study because at the very beginning, Pacifica starts out as that sort of static mean girl preppy rich girl and I thought she was always gonna stay that way because in shows like this girls like that usually don't change like they don't but she gets to grow she gets to grow probably the most of anyone in the show basically her 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 case is interesting because she, I don't know if they intended it this way, but through Dipper and Mabel's interactions with her, we, the viewers, are exposed to the sordid history of her family. A history which she herself was not consciously aware of. And by the end of the series, mostly like a couple episodes before the end of the series, she she becomes aware like she is before this 
she starts to be friended by Mabel in particular, who starts to kind of crack that rich girl shell. And we kind of get exposed, like, this is a very common trope with rich kids who are trying to reform. We learn, like, parental expectations and the effect of yeah. money. And, like, it, th that was very standard, but... Once yeah. that's opened oh, so, up. Like, you know, like her parents are essentially emotionally abusive, which is this pretty standard trope for like sympathetic rich kids in TV. And usually it stops there. It's like, oh, we'll feel bad for the rich kids, too. And that's a really sh sloppy way to empathize rich kids. Like, I get it. Yes. But also that doesn't make what they do okay and their lives are still like there's such a great comment from dipper and mabel's trying to win her golf game mini golf game and and she's like i don't know if we should cheat and dipper's like she's rich she's cheating at life i love that and it slew me <laughs> like the show is clearly self-aware about the effect of money and, yes, and like rich people are an issue but they don't just stop at feel bad for the rich kid. They actually make Pacifica face like her family's atrocities and selfishness. Like they have resulted in the death of many people. Like, yes, they, 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 this isn't one of those. Oh, they're mean. It's like, no, they have done things and stolen and lied to people and their actions have caused people to die so yeah their exploitation has caused people to die you know so she is forced to like endure the psychic conflict of resisting her parents fine but she is then faced against recognizing and then dealing with her family's legacy and that's where they that's where it becomes not just another sympathetic rich kid's story the child is actually forced to dismantle her family or her family's isolation from the town and she does it not begrudgingly she does it because she does like this is something that I think is important People want to be good. Now, it's not as simple as they want to be the moral good. People are protagonists in their own stories. And people can put up a lot of walls to prevent seeing their own terrible actions. But fundamentally, like Pacifica wants, doesn't want to be a, perceived as being like a, inherently bad. And when she's forced to confront her family's actions and her role in them, she could either go into denial or, which happens a lot, like, it's not my fault, why should I have to deal with all this? She can stay the protagonist if she says, well, I, I can't reasonably deal with all of this history. But she actively decides to change her behavior and do it willingly and that's what makes it an excellent 
sort of redemption arc is that it's earned and it cost her stuff. Yeah, she literally becomes a class traitor. And that is mwah. Yeah, that's it's really excellent. So like Pacifica is like a side character, but her her arc is is really interesting in that way. Um, and we have a few other side characters that I feel are important and worth mentioning. Um, so a couple of small ones before we get to the big ones. Um, so we've got Sheriff Blubs, who is voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson, who does just like an insane amount of voice work for the show. Like an insane, like half of the background voices of like little side characters are done by um, Kevin Michael Richardson. And he's one of those voice actors that once you get to the 2010s, if you start, if you, once you've heard his voice, you start hearing it everywhere. He's in so much stuff. And um, Blubs is all pretty much always uh, seen in like hand in hand with uh, his, his deputy, um Durling and they're very they're very gay coded but like in a like positive way like it's never explicitly it comes close to being explicit in the final episode where they say something about like feeling love and like are like gazing into one another's eyes but like they're very much a couple um so that's a cute thing that I really they're also both very dumb and ridiculous <laughs> um but then we have uh, Fiddleford McGucket, who is an insane old man, who turns out actually to be an insane old man because he was a brilliant scientist who was working with Ford and was so disturbed by um, many of the anomalies in Gravity Falls that he invented a device to erase one's memory and used it on himself so much that he broke his mind. Which is, that's big, you know? I mean, it's actually kind of implied that the reason people in the town are so weird is because they've been periodically having their minds erased for like two decades. Yeah, there's this thing called the Society of the Blind Eye that has um, like come up and basically erases people's minds whenever they've seen you know gnomes and shit right uh what, like my favorite part about that is that there's a character he's got like the phrenology head tattooed on his head and he's called blind ivan and he's the head of it we've never seen him before we don't ever really see him after but they end up erasing his entire mind in a fight with him and he's walking around and he's like who who am i <laughs> Mabel's like, your name is Toot Toot McBumbersnazzle. You're a traveling like ukulele player <laughs> or whatever. And he's like, yes, yes, I'm Toot Toot McBumbersnazzle. And he walks off and he's playing his guitar and he's like, Toot Toot is my name. And he can play the banjo. That's the best. That was my favorite part is that he, that he clearly, can play the banjo. <laughs> he clearly knew how to play the banjo, which doesn't make any like, fucking why? <laughs> why does he know how to play the banjo? <laughs> Um, and then we've got, I would say, like, probably our most important side, char side character to the point where I would say he's really more part of the main cast, which is uh, Lil Gideon, Gideon Gleeful, who is voiced by our old friend, Thurup Van Orman. And 
he is so great because he talks. Okay, he talks like a preacher. That's He's the- very much inspired by uh, an old school like tent revivalist and or televangelist. That okay, that's perfect because he. That's the only way that I could put the way that he talks, his cadence, his. That's absolutely where it comes. Like he's like he's a tent revivalist. He's a he's a televangelist. Only it's with um, telepathy instead of faith healing. Yeah, instead of faith healing. So he's you periodic antagonist, eventual helper. Only in like the last episode, though. I don't give him very much credit for that. Yeah, he he. (laughs) Basically, he's kind of he's very shitty because he's literally like trying to own Mabel that he's consistently throughout the show, just terrible. And they give they give him an unearned redemption arc. But mm -hmm. I think the show did credit a little bit. I can credit them because even Dipper's like, listen, this doesn't undo everything that you've done. But if you want to even start being somebody that people will want to be with, you have to change. So I think by Dipper saying that, the show acknowledges that Gideon is not just suddenly an okay person. He's just made a choice to do the right thing, and hopefully that's the beginning of a never-ending series of choices to do the right thing, which, which is what not what he's done so far. Yeah, he... He's like, I'm going to be a regular kid. And a kid makes fun of him. And then he sends some prison goons on the kid and have has them beat up. So oh. Gideon mostly doesn't change. Yeah. So something that's interesting about Gideon, for one, they never explicitly say, but um, I think that he's like a little bit younger. I think he's more of like a 10, 10 years old, something like that. And um I, despite the fact that he like is in love with Mabel and a lot of his, not solely, but a lot of his motivation is about being with Mabel. I mean, most of his motivation is just a desire for power, but a lot of it's about Mabel. But despite that, I also think that he's very gay coded. Uh, Thoughts? <laughs> he's too young. You think he's too young? I, I don't know. I just like he's like he's like very lispy. He's very cute. He cares a lot about his hair and a lot of the things that are like like there are things about him that are very childish, but like something about that childishness feels like queer coded to me. I don't know. I don't know. I mean like obviously in reality too young, but like I do feel like there's like gay coding going on there. I don't know. Uh, I, 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 that, honestly, that never crossed my mind. Okay. And, yeah, maybe and it's just me. It, I, I can see that now that you've said it, but also, he, hmm, he's too aggressive. I'll put it that way. Like, I don't know. He seems very straight to me. Like, Trying to like control girls, fighting people, like constantly trying to hurt others. I don't know. Like, but also the thing is, like, Disney has a very long history of like queer coded villains, even when the villain's motivation is something related to like the possession of a woman. If you think about like Jafar and Scar, like, they're very 
gay coded, you know? If this were made by Disney, like by Disney, I think I would mm -hmm. agree. But I don't, mm -hmm. in the context of the show, I just don't know if I buy it. Fair enough. Yeah. It's just like it was present enough that it was something I thought about, you know? That I, I can see how that would happen. Maybe it, like maybe a gray area with that one. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I will uh, concede that. So he's really an excellent character, though. Like Gideon is very much like a love to hate kind of character. Um, you like even though Grunkle stands like a real asshole and he's talking about how he basically wants to kick a little kid's ass a lot. You're on Grunkle Stan's side because that's how much you love to hate Gideon, you know? Yeah, he's fun, right? That's that their fun villain. Yeah, he's a very fun villain, which is um, the other, the real true antagonist of the show, I think, is also a very fun villain, but in a very different way, which is Bill Cipher, which is like an interdimensional, interdimensional dream demon triangle person uh, with one eye. <laughs> Chaos God, um, chaos God is the best is the best term. Yeah. And he is voiced by um, Alex Hirsch also. And he is like. He's very interesting because the first time you meet Bill, because also there are like images of Bill constantly everywhere in the show all the time from like the first episode. Um, and when you first meet him, you're like, huh. Like, what's his deal? But then as time goes on, you come to realize, like, how frightening Bill truly is because of, like, the level of power he has. And because he is, like, like a demon from the nightmare dimension, he's like, he's a chaos god. His, his only motivation is chaos. Like, he cannot be reasoned with. He cannot be dealt with. There's nothing that he wants that you can give him. He just wants, he wants to come into our dimension and gain a physical form and create chaos. And that's all that he wants. Uh, uh, he, he pops up a bunch of times, mostly to trick people. And like possess them. He turns Dipper into a living puppet at one point. Yeah, very liberal use of the word puppet. But there it is. Mm -hmm. that, that episode is a very brother-sister conflict episode, too. Yeah, so I will say, actually, kind of related to that, there is some very legit body horror in Gravity Falls. Yeah, I would say in general, the the more all-encompassing way I would put it is that I think Gravity Falls would legitimately scare some kids. Yes, and for in that sure. in that sense, it is more Brothers Grimm in its execution of certain. So a good example is the candy monster episode, the Halloween episode. That is a legitimately scary monster. Oh yeah, for sure. It just eat, it just like eats Zeus at one point. And it turns out that this monster is made of all the candy that no one wants, which is just a fucking great. That's so good. Because mm -hmm. everybody knows that candy and, and could could point it out if if you ask them about it. But it I mean, it eats people. I think their monsters always do actual things, whereas 
in Scooby-Doo, nothing ever, like, for example, nothing ever feels high stakes. Like, nobody ever feels like they're in danger. But in this show, people are constantly in danger about all sorts of things. Seuss gets turned into a zombie at one point. Yeah, so I think they they play with live ammunition in the show, and I think that that makes it feel more alive. Yeah, with the body horror specifically, there are two instances late in season two that I'm thinking about. And one is on the road trip episode with the, like, spider woman thing where she's like, allow me to slip into something more horrifying. Oh, my and she, God. Like, peels open her skin and like it turns into a spider and it's fucking horrific she's voiced, and then she's voiced by chelsea peretti by the way oh my god from, that's awesome of uh brooklyn 99 uh fame yeah uh that's awesome now that you say it i'm like oh yeah for sure so that's like but i like blake was in the room once when i was watching that and he was like ah he's like afraid of spiders and he was like oh what the fuck or in the first uh, first part of Weird Mageddon, Pacifica's dad is trying to, like, get on Bill's good side. And, of course, like, Bill doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care, you know. Um, and he's like, what if I shuffle the functions of all the holes in your face and then snaps his fingers and, like, his eyes are now ears and he has, like, an eyeball in his mouth. And, so, and he's just, like, falls to his knees and is like, I have no mouth, but I must scream. You know, he's, like, screaming, but he has an eyeball in his, like... And it's really fucking horrific, dude. I've, like, okay, I, I was just like, ah, fuck. <laughs> maybe, maybe this shows you just how many like horror tabletop stories that I've played in and run, and and I just like fucking laughed so hard. I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> that okay. That's the thing is that they're the scary things. If you are of a certain persuasion, are also really funny. <laughs> yeah, and I also I, but think about it in the context of this is a ch this is a children's show. I, I know. I as an adult who's just like done a lot of horror things, that is mm -hmm. that. I've I've just gotten done reading it by Stephen like by Stephen King. And so when this kind of stuff happens, I'm like, oh, this is like, whatever, man. Um, I think that's why I found it funny. But for children, no, I agree. I definitely think that that would be legitimately scary. Yeah, I'm like, that's like, like, it's like, that's legit enough body horror that like with that stuff, I was like, oh, that's, that's disturbing. <laughs> like, especially the spider. I was like, oh, okay, did not care for that. Like the particular animation of the way she peeled off her skin was very unsettling, you know. Yes, I did. I did go ew when I saw that. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, yeah, they're like the stakes are definitely real in this show. Like stuff that's legitimately scary happens. Like, like as an adult, it's like when I say legitimately scary, like as an adult, I'm like, oh, I feel the tension, you know. But if I was a child, it would be like legitimately scary for sure. Um, I don't really want to like the mystery eventually gets solved it's really good you should watch it it definitely kept me guessing I the only reason I knew that Stan had a twin was because a long time ago that got spoiled to me oh, and, damn. I, and I forgot I forgot about it until Stan started the portal that's when I remembered what was going to be on the other side. So for most of the show, I wasn't aware of that. But the central mystery is good. And. Uh, gosh, what are 
I'm trying to think of what else needs to be said. Yeah, like just um, in terms of the mystery, like a couple of little like Easter eggs, you know, related to that, that I just thought were fun in the. So we learned that Stan's name is Stanford because Gideon always calls him Stanford. But in the second episode, we see the vanity plate on the front of his car and it says Stanley Mobile. So that's there in the second episode. And then also a great one is that uh, Bill is talking to Dipper at some point and he says, your uncle hasn't been himself in 30 years, which is a really great like foreshadowing Easter egg, which I thought was fun. Um, but I would like to discuss like how like roughly half of the episodes of this show are basically like Dipper confronts toxic masculinity. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. There's literally an episode called Dipper versus Manliness. Yeah, right. Dipper's a teenage boy, so he's trying and he's he's scrawny and has dealt with being teased for being weak before the show starts. And and we see this come out when he's trying to be a man. Like he's trying to grow up and be a man and he's looking for role models and there's all sorts of issues arise from this but overall he confronts all of them and chooses a better way yeah it's definitely like many of the shows that we've watched i've said like well ultimately a lot of the show is about like becoming a man and what kind of man you're going to be and gravity falls is that like times a thousand because it's specifically a coming of age story and it explicitly confronts it in multiple times like the most so in an episode in season one called Dipper versus Manliness where, you know, Mabel and Stan are teasing him about how he's not manly. You know, he doesn't have any chest hairs and he's not strong and he's not manly. And so he meets a, a race of creatures called Manators who are half man, half Tor. And, um, <laughs> You know, they're very manly and they're teaching him about manliness and it's a lot of this stereotypical stuff like like spitting and um, resisting pain and things like that. And ultimately they want him to kill a creature called the multi-bear, but he bonds with the multi-bear over liking, uh, liking ABBA. They don't call it ABBA in the show, but it's ABBA. Um, and he's like, no, the multi-bear is a really nice guy. Like, I'm not going to kill the multi-bear if... If manliness, like, means killing this guy for no reason, then I'm, like, I'm never going to be a man, you know? So that's, like, very explicit about confronting toxic masculinity, like, that what what is manliness is not violence and, and like, pain and aggression. It's just, if you're a man, then whatever it is that you are is manly, you know? I, I kind of didn't know which way that was going to go while it was happening, but I'm, I'm glad to say that I was pleased. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like so much of the stuff with also with like, with Wendy and uh, with, with Mabel and stuff like that are also about Dipper confronting toxic masculinity. You know, the understanding that like, it's not cool to fight other other dudes, especially over girls, because like girls aren't your property. 
you know, it's not cool to like be creepy about liking a girl. It's not cool to be insistent about liking a girl when she's made it clear that it's not going to happen. It's not cool to treat other people like shit, you know, and, and so much of it is just like, which like if you're a woman are just like basic life lessons. But if you're uh, like a man or a boy, it's like about confronting a structure of toxic masculinity and actively choosing not to be a part of it, you know? Yeah. And in that sense, it fits very well in the kind of lessons that Adventure Time was also trying to teach. We see a greater engagement with this issue, which was present in earlier cartoons that we've watched, where there was less awareness or less attention paid to the the gender roles expected of boys. Mm -hmm. Now, something, a criticism that I have heard of Gravity Falls on gender lines is that, like, they think that Mabel, like, some people think that Mabel is too stereotypical to the point of it being sexist. That, um, you know, it's like that a lot of episodes are like, oh, Dipper's, like, solving mysteries and running around the forest and, like, Mabel's chasing boys. But I actually would push back about against that criticism because, for one, Mabel is based on his sister. And he's like, no, that's how my sister actually is. For two, that is legitimately how some 12-year-old girls are. Like, they're wacky and they love boys. And for three, Mabel is able to be that and also, like, incredibly strong and smart and useful. You know, she's able to, like, love glitter and boy bands and stuffed animals and boys in general and also like utilize a grappling hook and help to solve mysteries and you know be there for people and be brave and be strong so like i would like a girl is allowed to be like stereotypical in some ways but also other things so i don't think the fact that mabel loves boys and glitter means that like she's a sexist portrayal see and i think too like that the manic energy that she has feels not very typical to me i don't know like she's so full of I associate, okay, I associate the kind of spastic energy she shows with boys more than I do girls, to be honest. And she's a huge dork. She's a huge dork. It, it, my first thought is like, Mabel is Mabel. <laughs> For sure. Like, yeah. My, my first thought is that like, Mabel is like a girl, like even when she likes girly things, the way that they're instantiated is very, like her imaginary dreamscape. Yes, it's very girl, but it's also like very 80s. Also very. It's great. Like, I love Xyler and Crash. <laughs> like Xyler and Crash. Like, I don't Zyler know. Xyler and Crash, those are our names. <laughs> it's hard for, like, yes, yeah, she likes a couple of things that are girly, but the way that she likes them is not what I would consider to be typical. It's, it's with this, it's like with a fanatical, like nerd energy, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. I, no, I do love like with Xyler and Kraz when she first like conjures them and Sans, uh, Stan's mindscape, you know, she's getting sad about something at one point and Xyler's like, Great job, Mabel. And she's like, don't treat me like a child, Xyler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, also on the topic of Mabel, okay, here's something that I would just like to say that I mentioned to Chris and Chris said that I should mention. Mabel is, she knits. She's a knitter. And no one involved in making this show has ever done any kind of fiber arts. Because Mabel, during Weird Mageddon, in the course of, I think, a single day, makes everyone she knows a personalized sweater that fits them appropriately and also has, like, a clearly defined image on the front. I'm currently making a cardigan, like a slouchy cardigan that doesn't have to be specifically fitted to me, with one color of yarn and no designs in a very simple kind of stitch. I have been working on it for a week. I have just finished up my first skein of yarn, putting me slightly less than halfway through the creation of the first of five pieces that I will have to make and also edging that will have to be done. And it was 292 yards of yarn and roughly 8,200 stitches so far. The finished garment will be 50,000 stitches. So the idea that Mabel could create these like really complicated garments that each consist of tens of thousands of stitches for all these and just have the supplies on hand to do all of this in the course of a day. I'm like, this is insane. This is the most unrealistic element of the entire show. Yes, a ray that shrinks or grows something in size more plausible than knitting 10 sweaters. Yes, it is. (laughs) I enjoy that. That's, that's, that's very funny. Um, (laughs) Let's see here. Uh, I do like, somehow Gravity Falls had as much material as like four seasons of Adventure Time because they're 20 minute episodes. But it, there's a lot of action in it that really sort of defies any coherent analysis. Like what, we're going to talk about Dipper and Mabel in a in a golf cart running away from a mecha made of gnomes? <laughs> that happens, but there's nothing that I can really say about it other than it's very entertaining to watch. For sure. I will say, actually, I am a bit critical of the end of Gravity Falls. I think that they either should have made another season or gotten going on some of that endgame stuff earlier on. Because I think, to me, the ending feels very rushed. And there's certain stuff like with the Zodiac. The Zodiac was built up so much so long. Like, all those Zodiac images were showing up for so long. Um, Bill kept referring to it like every time he appeared and then when it finally was born out it really wasn't explained that well and they didn't end up even using it so like that felt really disappointing Um, and I just felt like we sort of like like you know once like Ford shows up like pretty late in season two and then we just kind of like rush to the end but yet somehow there's still filler there so it just felt really rushed and I'm like there should have been a third season or you guys should have like gotten the ball rolling a lot sooner on this stuff because it feels rushed. I didn't feel that it was rushed. I don't I, I guess to some extent I I like the idea that the Zodiac was a victim of sibling issues 
and I think that they chose to highlight like despite all this big stuff like if you can't deal with your interpersonal problems you're gonna get fucked and they did and I felt like that was a sacrifice on the altar of developing Stan and Ford's relationship maybe I just kind of felt like there was stuff like because it's like it is so rewarding with all of these like symbols and Easter eggs and things that like appear over time. And then some of it, like I I, like want things to be borne out more than you do generally, but like, I feel like some of it, there was definitely room for some of that stuff to be like developed a little bit more. And it feels like they just kind of ran out of time. Um, like Alex Hirsch insists that like the show wasn't being canceled. It wasn't decided for me by Disney. Um, like it was my decision, you know, I was finishing the show, but like, I'd also like to note that as much as he says that classically Disney does two seasons, like Disney makes two seasons and that's what they make, you know? Um, so there's like an element of like, well, could you have gotten a third season made? Could you have like, um, started getting getting serious with some of that plot stuff a little earlier on. Some of the stuff that was more fillerish, as entertaining as it was, could it have been cut out? Because I think that there's just like, like there's the show has like such like a rich mythology that I feel like right at the end like falls a little bit flat. That like I would have liked it to be a little bit more developed there at the end, and that's kind of why it feel like I say that it feels rushed. Okay. I, I I can understand that. I did not get that impression, but then again, I'd never seen the show before, so it might be something I would recognize on a second watch. Too. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like, ultimately, like, I would say ultimately that's a pretty light criticism that I'm like, oh, well, I feel like you spent a lot of time, like, building up, like, building this stuff up, and in the end, I didn't feel like it was, like as like richer developed as like it had been built up to be like i feel like that's a pretty light criticism because like ultimately it's still a very entertaining ending and like satisfying in the way that it wraps up like the emotional storylines you know yeah yeah i i can see that i think they definitely chose to focus on the relationships more than than the story at the end and I but but on the other hand there was a giant mecha fight at the uh, you know in the last episode. So I can't it's so hard for me to think of bad things when I'm like, "Oh no, this is a giant mecha fight that is so <laughs> anime, it's nuts." It's great. I love how they like explicitly reference anime. <laughs> yeah, well, Seuss is like Seuss says like you have to watch anime and I think he's talking to Fiddleford. He is, yeah. About it. Other okay, so other highlights of the show, unicorns, so funny, fucking dicks, <laughs> so good. The unicorn episode is so good, and it's so hard on poor Mabel because the unicorn is like, "You're not pure of hearts." That's and, exactly what the unicorn sounds like. That's a perfect impression. And Mabel thinks she's not pure of heart, and the unicorn's just being a dick. Mm-hmm. And they beat the unicorns up. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Um. I, uh, Ford, we've somehow failed to mention, is voiced by J.K. Simmons, which is great. That's just a great choice. I love J.K. Simmons. Um, so that's enjoyable. Um, there's an episode where Ford and Dipper play D&D, and it's fucking hilarious. 
Yes, um, it's great. And and the the it, the villain's name is Probabilator, <laughs> and he's voiced by Weird Al Yankovic. Oh my god! Which is fucking uh, just. Uh, I love that man. Yeah, it's great because it's just like it's like really making fun of like how like math heavy like D and D and some other tabletop games can be. Um, like the version of the show is called Dungeons, Dungeons, and More Dungeons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the best part, and and they really play up the old style D. They, I fucking love they their reference to addition warring, which is something that happens with people who play tabletops. It's like warring over oh which edition God, yeah. of a tabletop is best. And Dipper's like, yeah, it kind of went like. It's in its fourth edition, and it really, really went off the rail in the '90s when it tried to be hip, and it was Diggity Dungeons. <laughs> Dig- it was like Diggity Dog and Dungeons, which was just so. F- I was like, that didn't actually happen, but I could have seen it happening to Dungeons and Dragons, like Wizards of the Coast trying to make like third edition hip. Uh, they didn't do that, but yeah i also like i loved the 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 bits like the really mathy bits which is like very true about like fourth edition um that it's just like you know it was weak uh, like a weakness prime statistical anomalies over 34 but not existing for uh exceeding 47 or something like that and it's just like that's like as someone who likes tabletop but actually not really D that much that's like part of why i don't like D is because i'm just like oh god this is all like so overwrought and like we've been doing the same battle for fucking two hours and i've only had two turns yeah but it's about the group experience Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's another thing that they, um, you know, they're like, well, this game is math. Yeah, but it also is about like imagination because like Dan's like, what are the moves? And they're like, well, you make up the moves. And I'm like, no, you don't. That's not how tabletop games work. You don't just get to just like completely make up the move, like completely make up the moves. Come on. That That is when I when I was like, they have never played D- D&D before. Yeah, that's, like, the part that was really frustrating with me. I'm like, you seem to portray so much knowledge about, like, tabletop games and how they work. And then, like, just, like, oh, you just make up the... Like, because I tend to play tabletop games that are a lot looser in their structure and way more focused on role-playing, where it is a lot closer to something like, well, you make up the moves. I mean, there are but games... But still, you still don't, like, completely make up the moves. Like, yeah, that's there... not how D&D works. There, there are <laughs> games that I play where you... the There's, like, a system for making up things like that, but there's still a system behind it. Yeah, right. it's like, you know, like, like we play, I play a lot of games using Powered by the Apocalypse, and, like, they're very, like, role-play focused with a very, like slim system for rolling things up but it's still it's just like i'm like well can i like can i punt like can i like use telepathy to like invade his mind or whatever and it's like um you know and the dm will be like yeah that's like that's well you're a superhero and one of your powers is telepathy a so yes you can do that and b like you have a specific stat that you have to roll you know in order to do that that kind of thing falls under a specific stat so you can't just like do anything Right, yeah. But as a normal person, I couldn't just do telepathy. I could definitely tell that I I am a, a too much of a fucking nerd because that tripped me up that much. Me too. I was like, <laughs> "Fuck it, I shouldn't care, but I do." Stop. I have the same reaction. I'm like, "That's not true. That's not how this works." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so oh I, 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 it was a good moment where I self-reflected and I was like, wow, I'm way too into this. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, go ahead. Okay, so since we are mostly in, like, fun things, um, notable monsters, unicorns are great, the gnomes are really I great fucking love the gnomes and i really enjoyed the uh giffany yes uh i also love so Sue's to practice dating gets a virtual girlfriend and it's one of those japanese dating sims and it's a cursed disc and it comes to life and get her name is giffany And and Zeus makes such a good joke in that episode. He's like, Giffany? Giffany? I don't know. <laughs> and it's so good. I also love that um, that episode is called Zeus and the Real Girl. Like, this episode of a children's program is uh, named in reference to the movie where Ryan Gosling is in love with a sex doll. Whoa! What? Yeah, it's like Seuss and the Real Girl. That's a reference to Lars and the Real Girl. Wow. Which is the movie where Ryan Gosling is in love with the sex doll. I didn't know that that was a movie. Yeah, it's a movie. I haven't actually seen it, but it's it's definitely a movie. Uh, Yeah, I like... um, Huh, I guess that's like a good survey of the monsters that they deal with. They deal with all kinds of like really good and crazy monsters, some of which are like mostly funny and some of which are legitimately quite scary. Multi-headed um, bear. I love multi-bear. Multi-bear is great. He's just like kind of a cool guy, you know. <laughs> They're aliens. Uh, um. Oh, my God, dude. So the the um the whole thing about like the alien craft and like it having carved out like the ravine and everything did you see that coming no no not at all okay me neither i did not see it coming in any way the first time i watched it and now i've that i've watched it several times i'm like it's so fucking obvious like the whole space under that bridge and that ravine is so obviously a fucking flying saucer how did i not notice this <laughs> So that one's that's a good one that I loved. Like, um, the, they're pretty good at like littering in stuff and then making you go, "How? How did I not see?" Um, there are also a lot of really good like guest voices on the show. Um, John Oliver, Nick Offerman, Pat Oswald, a lot of Justin Roiland. Oh my um, fucking god! One of the best parts of the show is Justin Roy- uh, Roland doing commercials owl trowel you you got these piles of owls get the owl trowel (laughs) (laughs) oh my god justin roland is legitimately probably like in my top three favorite voice actors he's so fucking funny he's so funny oh my god he's definitely found his niche for doing commercial because like okay I like Rick and Morty. I'm not going to fucking go into the whole deal. But one of some of the best episodes of that show are where like it's literally just the characters watching interdimensional cable 
Yeah. And so they're seeing all of these television shows and commercials for just like made up shit. And it, and legend goes that those episodes were written and voice acted when uh, Harmon and Roland were drunk and they were just ad libbing. But, but, but I mean, they were clearly improvised. Like they were clearly improvised. And, and it, he's so good. Roland is so good at just like commercials and cable access. Like just, he's so good at it. And he shows up a couple of times. He's also a time traveler. Who's pretty, pretty funny. Time baby. Fucking time. I love time baby. Oh my God. Time baby's great. And then when Bill just like kills time baby. That's crazy. Also, the fact that the other two time police are named uh, Lolf and Dundgren, I think, is great. Where's that from? It's a it's a reference to Dolph Lundgren, like an '80s action star. Okay, that okay, that's what I I, I the it was familiar, but I didn't know it. Yeah, but like, okay, so like Justin Roiland's time traveler character is named Blendon Blandon, <laughs> which is great. And he's from the year 2012. <laughs> and it kills me every fucking time. I die every time. He's like, from the year 2012. <laughs> and at one point they show it on the screen and it's a seven with a teal day over it. And they, um, what is it called? What is their gladiatorial games called? I forget. Globnar? Globnar. <laughs> like, Oh god. The I I I really do enjoy the the future the the dystopia wacky dystopian future that you see sometimes when people talk it's like it it was very funny. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Oh god, I love the moment where like Blended Blanded's getting arrested and he's like protesting about something and he's like, I'm gonna keep stammering until you give me what you give me what I want and they're walking him away and he's just like I I, I I, 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 I. <laughs> and that's a great joke about just like um Justin Roiland's voice acting style also. <laughs> yeah, he uh he definitely when when he shows up is perfect. Always a treat. Oh, yeah, always and it's like a treat. People people talk a lot about how there's actually a reference in the first episode of Rick and Morty to Gravity Falls. And like, it just makes a lot of sense because Justin Roiland did a lot of work on, on Gravity Falls and you, you can get the impression that maybe him and Alex Hirsch are like friends, but it is, you know, when Stan first turns on the portal, it sucks through like a notepad and a coffee cup and one other thing. And in the first episode of Rick and Morty, um, a portal opens up behind them and like some things fall out and they're like a coffee pad you know it's the oh, same thing that went through okay 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 i i mm -hmm. that that's pretty cool i like yeah, that that's a fun one yeah for sure uh all right so gravity falls 10 out of 10 yeah excellent show super entertaining Snevity, it's so snevin, fucking funny snevny snevin out of snevny snevin <laughs> <laughs> it it the co like when it, when I say it, like the comedy is really refined. It is legitimately it is. funny in a traditional way. There's like there's like a lot of sex jokes and shit in there. Like it's like a classic like stuff goes over kids' head 
kind of situation with the they comedy. even make a joke about that in they the show they break the fourth wall yeah <laughs> they're, they're like yeah the show is great like it's great it's got stuff for kids but it also has stuff that the adults would see like mm-hmm. it's it's with zeus and it's, it's a really funny scene because they clearly hey, i'll have you know that ductective has a big mystery element and a lot of humor that goes over kids heads like ductective is a yeah. show an in-show universe show about a ductective mm-hmm. It's great. Oh, it's good. It's their yeah. version of Doctor Who, I think. Yeah, I think, or or like it's Sherlock Holmes or something. Um, I also love the bit where they're watching the security tape of uh, Stan, and he drops something on his toe, and he does one of his normal crazy old man swears. He's like, "Hot Belgian waffles," and then he's like, "Wait, I'm alone. I can swear for real, son of a," and then it cuts off. <laughs> like classic classic so you should go watch it the central mystery is great obviously if you're listening to this podcast you have already watched the show but if you haven't watched it in a while go back and watch it it's very quick never disappoints yeah you can get through it in like a couple of weeks and that's not even with dedicated watching yeah i i definitely watched a couple episodes a day like one or two even and you know Mm. it goes by fast for sure Definitely. Uh, okay, I do you want to say one final thing as we're wrapping up? Sure. The show at the very end made me cry because as an adult, I'm experiencing 30, 30 did it to me, I think. And it's not even because I thought 30 would do it to me, but just at the end of the show, it's a summer and it's kids leaving all of their friends and family at the end of a summer and the way the art style at the very end is I've never seen a better use of light and color to evoke emotion, like to evoke an emotional state because they paint everything in this beautiful pastel pink like this waning sunlight light that just like covers at like the empty room in their cabin the the places around the mystery shack the entire town like it's all painted in this rosy pink sunset light and you're just it hits so palpably that like this is the transition this is the last day of summer and that that could probably be expressed as its own emotion like the last day of summer that bittersweetness that mixes with like a longing not to leave but also knowing that you have to leave Mm -hmm. and it was very it was a deft way to evoke that ending that wouldn't have worked if we weren't invested in the summer that they just had so it worked on many levels because they had a great show i will say that um this show is has probably my favorite art of any of these shows that we've watched so far um and it's because of the use of light and shadow um the you know you might look at the like the way that the figures are drawn and animated and be like that's your favorite one you know it's like pretty typical but it's like but if you look at the backgrounds 
like there's always so much shadow they're always using so much light and shadow and so like the environment that they're in is always like so beautiful and evocative um and really well done and it's always i just really and or even like the um the theme song like it's it's beautiful like the images of that they use for the theme song is like very evocative of place um and like very bathed in this certain kind of like foresty light and it just it looks really good and i really like it yeah and i i i think my favorite art style will eventually go to steven universe so sparkly it's (laughs) pastel-y and sparkly and spacey and it just hits it hits a lot of my personal buttons Mm -hmm. but i i definitely think that the background work in this show was the best for sure yeah because something we talked about with adventure time is like the art style is really distinct but there's like no shadows in adventure time you know like things are like light or they're dark but there's very little like you know sort of like shadows and contrast and light and stuff like that in adventure time whereas like that's like every scene like there's like drastic contrasts of the lighting and um, in, in gravity falls even when finn is like in darkness he is the same color and light level that yeah. he is in daylight but they do use light and shadow like they do use the dark light contrast with lich scenes but that's about it i think pretty much yeah so mm-hmm. uh go watch gravity falls yes definitely um so Thank you very much for listening to us talk about Gravity Falls. We are going to continue in chronological order, and next we will begin covering Steven Universe, Ah! uh, which I hope that you will stick with us for. That one's probably Gravity Falls we could cover in one episode because it just is, it's just less material. There's only 40 episodes of Gravity Falls. Um, So it's just was a little faster you know to cover it um but steven universe it's more material and it's like super dense and also really groundbreaking so it probably will take a couple episodes to cover and hopefully you'll stick with us for that and hopefully we should be able to get an episode out for you relatively soon on that one but uh until then i've been Paige, and i've been chris and this has been animates Please feel free to reach out to us on social media. We're at Animates on Twitter and Animates Podcast on Facebook. You can also email us. The address is animates at gmail.com with the numeral eight in the place of letters A and T. Please also rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you like it. It'll help other people find the show, which is something that we always would like um we also have a patreon account we're animates on patreon and we are just trying to break even and making the show it does cost money to host a podcast so if you feel moved to do so um and want to donate any amount uh please go ahead and look us up on patreon and make that donation and as always thanks for listening